0: You could almost feel the tension in the room that night. It would have started out like almost any other night. But when he walked in, when his buddy walked in, the mood shifted quickly. Something was different. Something was off. Something was about to happen, and he didn't quite know what it was, but he was in tune enough to realize that there was something in the atmosphere that was shifting. You see, it wasn't the first time that these two buddies would have this a hard conversation in life. It's not the first time that one of them would have a, a hard, difficult conversation of confrontation and struggle that's been going on. This isn't the first rodeo, so to say, but this one, this one would be different. Because this hard conversation was one that has the potential to change the trajectory of of this man's life from this moment forward. So his buddy started to share a story. And as he's painting the story, it's it's simply a story about right and wrong. And it leads to a conversation of hidden brokenness, hidden sin, lead to a conversation about murder, adultery, and shame, and guilt that the king has been walking around with every day since that one night. It's a conversation that would mean for this king, he has a choice to make. You see, this king, he slept with a married woman. And after sleeping with her, he murdered Husband, and then he tried to cover it up the best he could. And you, as the king, his friend would say, you have sinned against both God and man. You, as the king, you've sinned. And I, as your brother, your friend, I'm here to walk with you if you'd let me. But, dear friend, you have a choice. You can almost feel the emotion coming through his voice. You have a choice to make. Today, right here, right now, in the moment you can see and feel the tension lingering, it's quiet, it's still, it's thick. The confrontation between Nathan and David is unfolding right before our eyes. For us, that might be this big political leader right here whose affair comes to light after being covered up. For some time. Or or maybe in today's world, it would be comparable to the celebrity pastor who has sent out and engaging in outside sexual behaviors with somebody who is not their spouse. It's the CEO who got busted with those images and his late night urges that he was indulging in. For us, we know this story probably all too well that's been painted and played out right before our eyes. But you see, in this moment, David has a choice. David has a choice. Option A. I can issue as David, I can come to Nathan and say, Nathan, here's this non disclosure agreement that you will sign, and we will never speak of this again, and it will never come up, and nobody will know. You will sign this or you will die. Option B. You're right. I have sinned and I need to fall face first at the throne of God and repent of what I have done. My brother, my friend. Thank you. David has the choice. And this is where we pick up. We pick up today, at closing this, this series in Psalm 51. This is the psalm that would be essentially written after David comes before God in the moments of repentance, pleading before God and repenting before God, pouring out his heart. David chooses option B. He doesn't go with the non-disclosure agreement. And in, the, in Psalm 51, this is where we are. This is the, the reflection. This is the reaction of David. And it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Look at how David starts it out, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and You alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Have mercy on me, O God. He starts out this psalm with such a beautiful and heartfelt plea. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, according to your loving kindness. Have mercy on me because of your great compassion. Have mercy on me. This is, in the Hebrew, God's chesed. It's this unfailing, deep love that is faithful to the very end, faithful through all situations. This is God's core of who he is. And David is pleading, he is fallen before the throne and he's pouring out his heart to God in this moment. It's the faithfulness and the loyalty to God's people that David is pleading on that behalf. The multitude of your tender mercies. What struck me is uh, when you think about this moment, At least for me in my own life, I can think about the times where I've been so overcome and even burdened by the multitude of my sins that sometimes I feel as almost I'm too far gone. You know what I'm saying with that? Right. But here's the reality. We can never forget that God's multitude of mercies far exceed our sin and our brokenness. Look at David. This is a man, a king that God anointed and appointed, and he fails, he fails, but yet, but yet, God's mercy and his love and his grace far outweigh, far exceed all of the brokenness, the sin and the shame and the guilt that David has walked in in his life. It's the same for us today. No matter how broken, no matter how messed up and tore up from the floor we may be, God's grace far outweighs and exceeds our brokenness and our sin and our shame in life. And that's good news for a hurting world. That's good news for me as a sinner, by the way. A broken man. And when he's pleading for God to blot out, to, to erase and wipe clean his sin, It's this very interesting thing to think about. Because a few weeks ago, Blake was here, and Blake talked about this question, this almost this tension. And if you were here, maybe you remember the question he asked of, would you rather be forgiven or found innocent? Would you rather be forgiven or found innocent? And what's interesting is, As when we dig into this psalm today, when we dig into Psalm 51, we see that exact question come into play. Because David is not just saying, forgive me for this. David is literally saying, blot out, wipe away, totally get rid of this on my permanent record. It's not just forgiveness he's asking. No, 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 no. He's, He's asking to be made innocent in God's sight for what he has done. He uses this Hebrew word that literally translates to this this action of to being washed thoroughly. And it's not just a rinse. It's not just a rinse. It's this kneading, beating, and a deep cleanse that David is seeking. If you think about when uh, I don't do much laundry... Courtney usually does a ton of it because I'm that guy who just takes a whole entire hamper, walks over, dumps it, every color, it don't matter, whatever. If there's a dress in there, if there's a dress shirt in there, bathing suit in there, if it's hot pink or white, it's all in there. You know what I'm saying? And it's fine. I don't care. It's good. I'll wear a pink dress shirt to a wedding, whatever. But I just dump it in. And then, you know, those instructions with, like, the, the laundry detergent. I just throw a few of those pods in. I'm like, ah, it's a bigger load. We'll throw another one or two in. Hopefully it doesn't overflow. But, like, I'm that guy, right? But Courtney, Courtney, when she does laundry, she's very specific with it. And she knows the right, like, cycles to put stuff on. I didn't even know there were some of those things. Like, but she, she knows what she's doing with it. And what's interesting is when I start to think about laundry being washed, I I could easily just take a shirt, run it under some water, hang it out to dry, and and I'd be like, oh, that might be good enough, right? I don't do that, by the way. But I could. That's just a rinse, right? But what David is talking here in the Hebrew language, it literally goes deeper than that. It's this deep sense of kneading and beating and scraping and totally, deeply cleansing what he has done. David knew that he'd been living in this sin for possibly a year or so before he wrote this. And now he's falling down asking for a deep cleanse for innocence, to be restored, for healing. Some moments in our lives when we feel that the junk is getting beat out of us and deep forgiveness takes place. It's a moment where friction and pain and hardship is, is meeting and grinding with each other. That God is moving. God is doing something. But it's a moment that a lot of times we feel like we just can't even stand. Because the snot's been beat out of us. You know what I'm saying with that? And It's not just God simply running us, running us under the water and, Ah, oh, yeah, that's good enough. Sometimes we need a deeper cleansing, a deeper spiritual cleansing to remove the brokenness, to remove the pain. And that's what David is pleading for, urging for. I find it interesting that David here writes that against you and you alone, God, I have sinned. When you think about the bigger context of what David did, David sinned against Uriah, was husband. David sinned against Bathsheba herself. He sinned against their families. He sinned against his own family. He sinned against his kingdom, and even in some ways, <clears throat> himself. But when David writes, I have sinned against you and you alone, it's almost this contrast that David is feeling that none of this, other sh- this shame and sin that I'm walking, it doesn't compare for me because I have sinned against you and you alone. And he's broken. He 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 can't he can't wrestle any longer with the brokenness and disconnect that he's feeling with God. Because here's why. That night, God was there. God saw it. He heard it. He was there. The filthiness for David may be that he did the sin in the presence of God himself. And this struggle, this tension that David is walking in, that he is no longer able to hold back this secret sin. Nathan has confronted him and he no longer can hide it. If we're being honest, we've talked about this before, but there may be some of us here in this room, sitting on our couches, wherever you might be, that we've walked around with our secret sin hidden for so long already. And you keep just shutting the door, keeping it in the closet, making sure that it's covered up just enough so nobody else can see it. But internally, it's eating us away. It's, it's absolutely wrecking us from the inside out. The secret sin and the secret shame that we've hidden from our families, from our spouse, from our kids, maybe even our work. And maybe we've even tried to hide from God. But I truly believe that whatever it is, if, if we're walking in secret sin and shame, I'm going to be very clear right now that if, we, if you are walking in a secret sin and a secret shame, right now that God God wants to heal you from that. God wants to take that load, take that burden and say, I have got it. Come to me, fall before me at my feet and just lay it out, plead with me, lean into my faithfulness, lean into my healing power, my my love and my grace and mercy for you. He wants to take it, but he desires us to fall face first and willingly give it up. Just like David, he recognized the brokenness. He recognized the pain. He recognized all of the shame and sin that he's walked in. And he continues on in the psalm, and this is where he writes in the next few verses, five through nine. This is what it says For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy. Again, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. What's interesting in these verses here in in verse 5, he brings it all the way back to Adam and Eve. He's literally bringing it all the way back. And and what's so interesting is that he's bringing it back to the fall, back to where deep sin and and, and removal and tension between us and God took place. Brokenness and sin entered in the garden, and David recognizes that. And he brings us all the way back from the moment my mother conceived me. We're born into a sinful nature, but yet there's hope. There's hope. And that's what he's pleading on the behalf of. You see, and what's interesting is that as David talks about this, he's literally ridding himself of also excuses. He's ridding himself of the excuses of, I wasn't born out of a sinful relationship. I wasn't born out of this type of relationship. I was born in sinful nature from the fall, yes. But I don't have the excuse of, well, look at where I came from. No wonder why I did this. David understands the core, that he was broken even as a baby. His nature was broken. He's shown the depths of sin. But he also doesn't leave it there. He he talks about there's hope. There's hope. Why? Because where sin runs deep, hope runs deeper. And he talks about that. Look at that. Like inward transformation purify me wash me give me back my joy again not he doesn't talk about happiness he talks about joy there's a distinct difference between joy and happiness i can be happy in a really unfun time or no i can i can have joy in a bad moment but i might not be happy in that bad moment you know what i'm saying I can still have the joy of the Lord in a bad moment, but I might not be happy in that moment, but God's joy will run through me. And David is pleading and saying, give me back my joy. Not happiness, my joy. And as he's talking about this, these are are very distinct words that he uses. Purge me. Clean me. Wash me. It's these moments that David is pleading that only God can take a sinful man and make him innocent again. It doesn't matter how much good works you do. It doesn't matter how much money you give. Only God, through repentance, can make a sinful man innocent again through the blood of his son. And so as I'm thinking about this text I think it's a fair question to ask today. And it's an uncomfortable one, by the way. But what thing right now may you be coming to God, asking him to purge you from and make innocent in his name again? For some of us, that might mean that secret sin we were talking about. God may be asking us to come to him today and ask for him to purge us of that and make us innocent again. For others of us, it might be a a brokenness that we struggle with anger maybe. I lose my temper quickly. I fly off the handle rapidly. I get violent. God, I need you to purge me of that. God, I have a deep sense of bitterness towards my spouse. I can't walk around with that bitterness anymore because it's eating me alive. Would you purge me of that and make me innocent? And for others of us, maybe in this room online, it may just be flat out, God, I've been a sinner. And I need you to make me innocent in your name. Will you come into my life? Will you make me whiter than snow? It may be the moment for some of us where we need to ask and maybe even recommit our lives to him today. What may you be coming to God right now, asking him to purge you from and make innocent again? See, David used uses a word in here that literally translates to, for purge and wash, it's literally a translation to de-sin me. That's another translation that is written to, God, would you de-sin me? And and it's essentially as God acting as ultimate priest. We know that Christ comes years later and, and fulfills the prophecy as the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate priest to cleanse us of all of our sin. And I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says this, God could make him as if he had never sinned at all. Such is the power of the cleansing work of God upon the heart that he can restore innocence to us and make us as if we had never been stained with transgressions at all. David is literally right here in this moment pointing hundreds of years down the road to what Christ is going to do on the cross. David is a prophecy here, a foreshadowing here, pointing to the power of the cross, the power of Christ and his blood on the cross. That only Christ, hundreds of years later, can make us innocent in the eyes of God. And David closes this psalm. Last few verses. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. They will return to you. Forgive me, For shedding blood, O God, the God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Do not desire, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire, don't miss this, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. Burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings. Bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What's interesting is that David asks for God to make in him a new heart. What's interesting in that is that in Ezekiel, it literally talks exactly about that. Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And that's great. But the next verse is so critical as well. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Here's the reality. It's not that we just want a new heart and that would fix everything. Don't miss this. David even pleaded back in Psalm 51, making me a new heart. But then he also talks about give me your spirit. And Ezekiel talks about that. I'll give you a new heart. I will take the stony, stubborn, broken heart and I will put my spirit within you. It's not that God is just swapping out hearts and saying, good job, you're all set now. He gives us his Holy Spirit to walk with us, to guide us, to show us the way, to to give us his power. That's where the radical transformation happens. God's promise to give us His spirit. Prophetic words of yet to come, of Christ and the work he would do. Prophetic words of Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. Prophetic words of the church today. We find it way back in David and Ezekiel. Because God doesn't just want to swap out our hearts. No, 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 no. God creates creates in us a restored heart back to the Father, back to innocence, through his Spirit. He creates in us a restored heart back to innocence innocence, through his Holy Spirit, through the work of his Holy Spirit. And David talked about the sacrifice. God, you don't want a, a burnt offering. You want a broken spirit, one that falls face first before you that repented and transformed heart, that through that, he can lead others to see the glory of God as well. Because when his heart is restored, he can help others' hearts be restored as well. See, we can't lead what we don't live. I can't, as a pastor, stand up here. Josh can't stand up here and sing and lead in the worship and lead in the message if we're not actively trying to live this stuff out as well and that's a holy disconcept like that's a holy conviction y'all if i'm talking about what is it that that we need to come before god and be purged of that's an active question that i've had to ask myself as well you get what i'm saying There's an active moment for leadership, all leadership, the board, all the way through volunteers. We are actively having to try and practice this out as well. And if we stop doing that, I can never effectively lead you forward if I'm not actively being convicted, actively trying to pursue a deeper, holier, more personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. We can't lead what we don't live. And David realizes that. Because when he's repentant, he can sing the praises of God again. When he's repentant, he can see the glory of God again. David essentially is coming to God as a living sacrifice. Putting aside his own importance, putting aside his own ego, and coming to God as a broken man in search of a holy God. Because the reality is this. The world would never have blinked at what David did. <laughs> Culturally, he's the king. You don't question the king. The world would have never blinked at David's decision. The world would have never looked at David and said, How dare you? The world would have never looked at David and said, You can't be king. Nah, they just would have brushed it off. They probably looked at him and been like, I mean, that wasn't nice, David. You killed Uriah. But he's the king. You don't question the king. It was normal culturally as a follower of God, he knew he was wrong. Go back to that room that night as David was standing there with Nathan. Go back to the tension that night as Nathan, I'm sure, had some nerves and some uncertainty of how this might play out having this conversation. Go back to that tension. The moment before David decides what to do. Option A, option B. Because when David chose option B, when David ripped up the non-disclosure agreement and he said, I'm going to repent, you, my brother, you were right. That's the moment where we get a glimpse of what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. To pursue right over wrong. Just over unjust. David made a choice. See, he could have ignored and walked away from Nathan. He could have kicked him out of his chambers. But he didn't. He chose to not make any excuses. And he chose to to be rebuked and called out and held accountable. And he chose to come before God and ask God to purge him, clean him, make him innocent again. As we close today, as Josh comes up, I just have a few maybe thoughts real quick. And the one thought is this is that I remember, I remember going to class in college. And I remember one of my professors talking about this reality. They're like, one day, you know, when you are in the church, I was going to be a youth pastor, you know, they're like, you're dealing with students, so, like, good luck getting them to read the Bible sometimes. And I'm like, preach. But the reality was this, he, and, and I remember it clear as day, her name is Dr. White. And Dr. White is this, um, is this, incredible professor and she's this black lady who does urban ministry like nobody i've ever met and i remember listening to her and getting excited because i was like i want to be like her she just has this like urge and fire to see people come to jesus and she don't care where you're at or what you're doing if she's that lady who will walk into the ghetto and be like do you know jesus because i do let me talk to you about jesus you know what i mean And she's like, here's what she's learned, and I'll never forget it. She says, people may not always read the Bible, but they will always read you. So what's your life saying? And I was like, that's a really great quote. I wish you never would have shared it with me. Because then she turned to us and she said, you're going to be fellow future youth pastors. Students may never read the Bible but they will always read you. So what is your life saying? Today, God may be wanting you to purge and cleanse you from something. So what may God be wanting to purge you and cleanse you from? What sin and shame may God be calling you to lay before him in repentance today? for some of us, that might mean that we take the step today to lay it all on the line. To go all in. For some of us, that might mean we've never actually taken that step to commit our lives to Jesus. To say, God, I have have sinned against you. I am broken. I need you. I need you to wipe me clean. Innocence. I don't just want forgiveness. I want Innocence. God, will you blot out my transgressions? Would you blot out my sin and my shame and my guilt? And would you restore in me a new heart? A heart full of your spirit, your love. And today, if that's you, the we you can do that right here today. You can confess your your, your sin and brokenness before God and ask for his innocence and forgiveness to be placed upon you. And for others of us, we've walked in the church and we've walked in the faith, but we've strayed away. I've been there. I've been there multiple times. What am I joking? Where I've walked away, I've I've said, man, forget you, God. I'm struggling with this. But here's the beauty of God. He doesn't just let us run away and say, good luck. He chases us. He pursues us because he loves us enough to chase after the one that gets away sometimes. The sheep that jumps into a hole time and time and time and time again. He pulls us right back out. And so this morning as we close, I want to invite us to get uncomfortable. And so I'm going to pray, and after I'm done praying, I'm not going to say amen. But during my prayer, the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing another worship song. And uh, during that song, here's what I want to invite you to do. For some of us, this is going to be uncomfortable and a stretch, and that's good. I want to invite you to get uncomfortable and to seek a posture of brokenness before God. (laughs) A posture where you come before him and you say, God, purge me. And for some of us, that might mean literally coming to the front here and falling on our knees and praying. Use this as an altar. For others of us, it might mean I'm going to be hanging out in the front row. And others of us, if, if, if today you need prayer, if you've been walking in brokenness and shame and sin and you just want somebody to pray for you or pray with you, I'm going to be right up front and I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. For some of us, that might mean sitting at our seat, quieting our soul. But I want to challenge you to get into a posture of brokenness today. A posture where you say, God, I can't handle it anymore. God, you are a God. You are the only God who can do this. You're the only one. You are the only one who can take a broken mess and make great beauty out of it. So would you make me listen in your name again? So I want to invite you into that posture. As the band comes up and as we continue to worship, the front's going to be open as an altar. I'm going to be hanging out up front. Whatever God is leading you to do, don't ignore it today. Don't ignore it today. Because God's at work. Father, I just thank you for this morning. But God, I thank you for being a God who, a God who does incredible things, Lord. I thank you for being a God who walks with us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our shame. I thank you for being a God who chases after us, who willingly pursues us. And Father, I pray right now in the name of the Holy Spirit that your spirit would fall on these people, their spirit would fall on the people watching online, and that we would take a posture of brokenness, that we would come to you and we would ask you to purge us, to rid us, to cleanse us again, Lord, and make us innocent in your name. So Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts. And God, I ask that you would make us uncomfortable today. Lead us to a posture where we are broken before you and wholly surrendered to whatever you have in store. So Lord, we just pray that you would move boldly and swiftly.